Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else. Hello, and welcome to Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff, your twice-weekly reminder that despite all the horrible shit in the world, we can try and do what's right. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy. And with me today is my guest, Snow, from Yellow Peril Tactical. Snow, how are you doing? I am doing okay. I haven't had a day off since last Sunday, but I am hanging in there. Those dudes do seem like contradictory statements. Yeah. But uh, That's life, baby. Yay! For those who've never heard of your work with YPT, uh, Yellow Peril Tactical, how would you sum it up? We are eight tigers in a trench coat. Okay. <laughs> uh, but truly, uh, we are, no, we're more than eight. I think we're at like 11 now, actually. Um, but we're a group of leftist Asian Americans who fly the same flag of like anti-authoritarianism. Some of us are anarchists. Uh, I think most of us are, um, if mm-hmm. we do decide to have a singular ideology. Um, but we mostly focus on firearms education, political education, and the occasional shit post as a treat. Awesome. Yeah, I believe it was your shit posting is how I first came in. You know, <laughs> got to have a range of, of tactics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so our producer playing the role, the voice of God, is Sophie. Sophie, how are you? I'm well, Margaret. Thank you for asking. Well, I, of course. I mean, we also spent like a while before we started recording talking about it, but I wanted everyone else to know that you're doing well. Yeah, we're friends. Yeah. Never let anyone say otherwise. Yeah. Snow is like, you two hate each other. Our secret, like, secret sworn to... enemies. No. I know. I can't, I can't even, like, I can't even joke about it. Like, it, yeah. like hurt, no, it, my work. Fe- it hurt my I feelings know. to say it. I know. <laughs> Our audio engineer is Ian, and the theme music was written for us by Unwoman. So, Snow, we're talking about, well, okay. Before I start talking about what we're going to talk about, I'm talking about what we're not talking about. Have you ever heard of the, the Second Indochina War, a.k.a. the Vietnam War, a.k.a. the sum total of what white Americans know about the country of Vietnam? You know, I just see these, like, old white dudes wearing the Vietnam War hats. That's all, you know, that's all I know about it. Not yeah, like my yeah. family <laughs> escaped from a war-torn country or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. 
um, since you don't have any context. Yeah, not let me. Um, we're not going to talk about the Second Indochina War uh, today. Maybe one day we'll talk about some of what happened, but it's not going to be today or Wednesday. It's not even going to be this week at all because this week we're going to talk about a century of resistance against French imperialism in Vietnam that doesn't get talked about as much. And we're going to talk about, in particular, the various communists and others who fought like hell in the 1920s to the 1940s who were fighting for a a bottom-up communist society instead of the bottom-down one that eventually won. And we are going to trace it through the eyes of a guy named No Vaughn, who's one of the only people who lived through all of that, at least one of the only people with his ideological viewpoint, like one of his only, uh, of any of his friends who survived. He's sort of this week's cool person. He would probably, he's going to wind up in the title, I'm sure. And he, he rules. But I think it's going to come across real quickly that the the real cool person or cool people this week is basically the Vietnamese people broadly who just kicked the shit out of everyone who tried to rule them for uh, through just tenacity and organizing and courage. I really don't understand why people fuck with Vietnamese people. No, it seems like a really bad idea. Just, it's bad. Like, have you met my mom? Um, you know, I haven't, but I would be afraid to mess with her. She would like, I joke about this all the time, but it's like super mm-hmm. not a joke. It's like she would chase me around the house with a cooking utensil to spank me and then cook dinner with it. So imagine that <laughs> on like a communal scale of a bunch of people, you know, it's like that energy. Yeah, no, and and... I think over the course of today, um, we're going to talk about the Vietnamese kicking out the the Dutch, the British, the Spanish, the French, the British again, and the Americans. And they did it only with cooking utensils. I read that somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, actually, yeah, that was um, that's going to be a major part of it. It's the wooden spoon army. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm going to do a condensed history of the country of Vietnam. Okay, let's hear it. All right. So most countries have had fluid borders over their existence, and Vietnam is no exception. Right. In the B.C. era or the B.C.E. era or whatever the fuck, there was some Vietnam as an independent region going back almost to about 3000 B.C. And then for about 1,000 years, starting in 111 B.C., it was mostly controlled by China, at least North Vietnam was. Except when it successfully, oh yeah, also China. Sorry, you also uh, kicked out China several times. Also, oh yeah, except we did. of course when you all successful. Oh, in the Japanese, yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, yeah. Nobody can come in. They no. don't know the password. No. Successfully, the Vietnamese people overthrew the Chinese here and there for a couple generations at a time, and then in 939 they beat the Chinese sort of more or less for good. This is the very oversimplified version of history, uh, forming what gets called the the Dai Viet. Um, which means the Great Viet. And this is basically North Vietnam. Mm-hmm. South Vietnam was a series of kingdoms collectively called Champa. Over the course of its 1,600-year existence, Dai Viet slowly conquered, including some of modern-day Cambodia as well, but they conquered Champa, basically, and created the territory of what is roughly modern-day Vietnam by 1832. Dai Viet started off as a sort of monarchistic state, a very strong monarchy, uh, and that lasted several centuries, and then eventually, basically, it started to become more and more of an infighting space between different warlords, like 
fucking everyone else like Ireland and all kinds of other places. I'm just throwing that in there so that people don't think this is some like uniquely non-Western thing for, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of countries to be only sort of vaguely countries. Well, and they were also very Buddhist, which I think like the religious aspect of it mm-hmm. gets super glossed over sometimes. Well, so I'm actually kind of curious about that because I I spent a not insubstantial amount of the time I was reading this, reading about different religions in Vietnam. And it seems mm-hmm. like there was a lot going on religiously and actually a lot of syncretism, syncretism, even before like Catholics and shit showed up, like um, a lot of like animist meets Buddhism. And then also I think a lot of the people who are like running the place were more into Confucianism yeah, because that was a good way to be in charge was that particular religion. That's my yeah. like... But yeah, no, it, 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 yeah, no, I, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best. I spent a long time reading about all the religious stuff, but man, it is not uniquely complicated, but it is fucking complicated. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing you're right that like just doesn't get talked about, especially since like the communists are like ostensibly, but not actually atheists. Um, some of them mm-hmm. are, but so then they're like, there just is no religion. And you're like, yeah, what about all the animism? And they're like, there just is no religion. Yeah, one of my dad's biggest beefs with the communists is that they're like, Mm -hmm. they were persecuting Catholics. And I'm like, damn, that's crazy. (laughs) I we're gonna talk about we're gonna talk about some some murdered Catholics. Um, Oh, sick. Okay. I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so and there was actually some advantages to all of this warlordy infighting. It made them very hard to conquer and rule. See Mm -hmm. also Ireland and a lot of other places. The Portuguese showed up in 1533, and they were like, oh, this place is too fighty. Gotta go. And they went up and set colonial ventures in China and Japan instead. In 1601, the Dutch show up, and the locals are like, sick, let's fuck them up and rob them. Hell yeah. And then the Dutch left. In 1613, the English showed up. They left. Mm-hmm. Uh, though by 1672, they did have some trade there. And the French succeeded where everyone else had failed. It was those damn baguettes. They really got me, you know? They're so good. It's <sighs> the only thing I know how to say in French is, oh, baguettes, s'il vous plaît. <laughs> <laughs> and je ne parle pas français de soleil. That's how I lived in France for a month. <laughs> so I walked to the baguette store and bought baguettes. Anyway. <laughs> Traders came first. Yeah, thanks. Uh, <laughs> Traders came first in 1615, and then the Catholic missionaries in 1658. And they all stuck around for a couple hundred years with some incidents. Um, I think the first military encounter was when the French Navy like rescued some missionaries in 1843. And the West was like, you know, those Vietnamese, they're just so xenophobic. They don't let anyone in to just like rob them and convert <laughs> them to our colonial religion. Um, just like specifically, I keep finding references of the West being like the Vietnamese are xenophobic. Yeah, like, you fucking idiots! You're fucking robbing them. It's like Michael Scott being like, "This is a hate crime because I hated it." <laughs> um, was that your first time hearing that reference, Margaret? Yes, I have no idea who Michael Scott is. I'll yeah. be honest. Michael Scott I'm... is a character from the show The Office. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, okay. And I and I was like, Margaret's laughing, but she doesn't know why. But I understand. <laughs> But I wanted you to know, Snow, I got that joke, and it was great. Um, yep. 
But you've never seen The Office? I have seen The Office. I have seen The Office, but I don't have a memory for names. Oh, okay. I was like, like, Magpie does not know what you're referencing right now, but Uh, laughed anyways because she's a professional. So sweet. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thank you. So kind. (laughs) Sophie knows all my tells. One of the tells is someone made a pop culture reference. That's a tell. Um, But... I I actually I, I don't know whether I've seen the British one or the American one, but I watched one of them. It was funny. I sound like a robot. Okay, I'm like, anyway, I'm like so, you, you should know which one you watch. Very. I know I should. Yeah. I'm, yep. I'm aware. I should know a lot of things. I can't tell accents apart. Uh, one time I was watching this movie, a British movie, with my British partner, and and my partner was like, "Oh, well, the the Scottish guy," and I was like, "Which one's the Scottish guy?" And they were like the one speaking with the Scottish accent, and I'm like, You're like, I don't know, I don't know. And they were like, it's all the same. He's the one talking to the American, and I said, which one's the American? Oh my god! And they were like, <laughs> the one that sounds like you. And they were like, I don't know. Just fucking could be anybody. Yeah, exactly. Just like anybody could be France and conquer. No, actually, mm-hmm. no one. Everyone else yeah. failed. So. Mm-hmm. But between 1859 and 1885, the French occupied, uh, conquered the country. So I guess the xenophobia had some merit after all. Damn. That said, it's worth noting that the Nguyen dynasty, which was in charge when the French started conquering, was not popular with the peasants. And so that actually played into a lot of the things that happened in terms of the conquering, right? Is that you had this, the rulers were seen as fairly despotic by a large portion of the people who lived there. In the year 1776, there had been a popular revolt that had temporarily overthrown that dynasty, the Nguyen dynasty, organized by the Taesun, who fought with an army of poor peasants and highland tribes. I can't tell if they were, like, actually a populist revolt or if that was, like, what they convinced everyone that they should be so that they could be in charge. But it is something that they did. And they promised land redistribution, which is going to come up later as a thing that people like to promise poor peasants and then not provide them. So this seems like the way cooler war of 1776 as compared to some right. other stuff that's happening in the world. Yeah, It it didn't last because the Nguyen dynasty went to China for help. Every side in any given war is usually shitbags, though, and the, the Taesan massacred ethnic Chinese folks in Vietnam, which, of course, only made China more apt to help the other side. This is something we're going to see a lot throughout history as well. And the French threw down on the side of the ruling dynasty, the the Nians, um, alongside China, and the popular revolt was crushed. The last Taesun general was a woman named Bayu Tishen, and she and her teenage daughter were executed by crushed to death by an elephant and let the soldiers eat her heart and liver. That's ruthless. I know. Her husband, who she met, who's another general, who she met when she saved him from a tiger, according to legend, but I'm, I'm down, I believe it. Yeah was caught and executed alongside of her, probably laid alive. A hundred years later, after this uprising, the Nguyen dynasty is not a popular one with the people. Uh, mm-hmm. The murdering people with elephants didn't seem to go over well or something. And then, to make everything just fucking religiously complicated, the Catholics kind of inserted themselves as the people's choice, the religion of the oppressed. Classic. I know, because also the comparisons to Ireland are just going to keep stacking up in this particular way. And this um, unpopular reign helped the French conquer the place. During the invasion, the government refused to arm the populace. 
because, which is actually, okay, the lesson about why the French won is because the government didn't arm the populace. And the the people who are capable of destroying every Western power are the populace. Right. Like, um, as we will see over 400 years already, and then it could several hundred years more. Well, well it's um, interesting because, like, mm-hmm. as an aside, mm-hmm. like, well, kind of related, but, like, my mom's side is from the north. Okay. And they still talk about the Nguyen dynasty because, like, my dad's side is Catholic. And so oh, interesting. Just, yeah, very. And yeah. so they, like, my cousin, like, when we get super drunk or whatever, he'll just bring up the Nguyen dynasty. And like, <laughs> they, that was our demise. And I was like, oh, right. I don't know that it was one singular moment, but, like, that for sure yeah. um, had a play. Yeah, and that's, like, because you're also also talking about, like, when, when people start, like, murdering the Catholics, which is going to happen several times throughout this story— it's like they're not necessarily talking about like murdering French missionaries, which I am like, God, super I, yeah, yeah, no, no problems here, right? Um, but you're talking about murdering like families of Vietnamese people who have been yeah Catholic Converted. for hundreds of years at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's a very different thing, right? But so the populace hates the dynasty. The government is like, well, we're not giving you any fucking weapons. And so then the Nguyen dynasty relied only on their own noble army or whatever. And also half of the government was like, why don't we just do this peacefully and negotiate instead of fight? Which also doesn't usually go well with colonial powers. No, it doesn't. Even still, the French couldn't do it alone. Spain came and helped them. Because all of these quote-unquote competing colonial powers are just the same force of Western Christian imperialist shitheads. It's true. South Vietnam fell first. Uh, as well as the dynasty, basically, which signed a surrender and became Cochin China, uh, which is the place that's under the most direct colonial rule and is also going to be the place where most of our story takes place. Not because this is where the most action happened, but literally because where our guy, no- Novan, is from. Mm-hmm. You will be shocked to know this, No, The okay. end of resistance from the formal government was not actually the end of resistance. Damn. I know. It, I put some money down on that. Uh, well, did you put your money down on instead leadership moves to the Confucians? Uh, no. Is that is a that, uh, question uh, for 500? It is what happened. The, the local gentry, a scholar class of Confucians, they're like, all right, well, if the government won't do it, we'll do it. And the government was like, no, we're surrendering. Play nice with the French. But the people were like, no, nah, I don't want it. No, nah, I don't think so. Yeah. And so a ton of the regular military left and joined these militias because they were like, no, we're, we're here to get stuff done, not just follow orders. So one misstep that we keep alluding to during this was the, it's the Van Then movement. Um, well, rather, there's a bunch of movements that happen. One of them is called the Van Then movement. This is the one, or Van Then, I believe, actually, sorry. Uh, the Van Then movement, which um, I can't tell how much the sources I'm using are giving this a bad rap or not. But these Confucian scholars, uh, their motto was demolish the Westerners, kill the heretics. Just fairly straightforward. Yeah. Their plan was in the following order of priorities. One, kill all the pacifists. Okay. Two, kill all the Catholics. Okay. Three, kick out the French. Sign me up. <laughs> so, yeah. They, they, um, all they actually did possibly was attack a bunch of Christian Vietnamese villages and murder people and never actually attacked any French people. Yeah. My dad still talks about that. Yeah. This isn't the only time it's going to happen. 
um, in this story. It's also possible that this is a mischaracterization of the guerrilla movement made by sources who liked the Catholics, you know? One group that was fighting that objectively had the best name. Have you ever heard of the Black Flag Army? I don't think so, actually. Okay, I'm really excited about them. Mostly because of their name. Um, They're not anarchists, but they're called the Black Flag Army. So, like, I'm going to have some sympathies. They're bandits from China who are living in Vietnam. And they actually have a bunch of uh, European and American mercenaries in their ranks also. That's crazy. Yeah. And they got their name because they used black flags as their, like, command flags to direct battles. And they were an army. So, you you know, you put the two things together. Right, right. But the, okay, let's start with the bad. The reason that they were really hanging out in Vietnam and had a whole bunch of power in Vietnam is that they started off as hired thugs for the Nguyen dynasty, suppressing the indigenous mountain tribes who weren't being properly conquered. Because that's something to remember about all of this is anytime there's a government... Even right. if it's like the local government, it actually started off by conquering everyone. Exactly. You know? So they showed up and they helped pacify all these people and, and help the dynasty. And so the dynasty was like, all right, great. You can go be bandits on the following rivers, uh, the Black River and the Red River, just to continue with weird uh, symbolic parallels to anarchist stuff that really has nothing to do with them. And then they're allowed to be official pirates. And they're like, great. Everyone who uses the river pays us 10%. But the French were going to fuck up their piracy deal. So they went and fucked up the French. And they wind up basically a group of mercenaries who fight their entire lives against imperialism, first in Vietnam, then like later in China and a bunch of other places. They're just like, this is who we are now. We're just anti-imperialist mercenaries. And I think that I know they got really fucking like and I think they got like. It's like the original people, and they're like old as hell, and people are like, oh, fuck, the Black Flag Army is coming, as these like grizzled old vets would roll up with their black flags. I like them. Damn. Even though they start off bad. Well, you know, who doesn't love a good character arc? That's right. That's a good point. Oh, and then and then this isn't even in the script. I just really like them. Their kids, or like <laughs> the next generation, was called the Yellow Flag Army, and they were like part of the same crew. But there was this tension because the Yellow Flag Army was like, we are a fighting force against imperialism and, you know, for the people who hire us and stuff. And the Black Flag Army is like, yeah, but we're also bandits. Yeah, (laughs) you can't forget your origins. Yeah. But they don't win. By 1884, the rest of the country is more or less under French control. Central Vietnam was called Annam. North Vietnam became Tonkin. A lot of the sources that I'm reading refers to, by Vietnamese writers, refers to all Vietnamese people as uh, Anamites. And collectively, along with uh, Cambodia and later a few other places, this gets called French Indochina. Right. And France did a colonialism trying to eradicate Vietnamese culture in the fucking name of, because of the French, in the name of humanism. Right. They need Uh, infrastructure. Yeah, we're providing them infrastructure and denying them any ability to express their own culture and not get murdered constantly by us. Settlers start arriving for the full settler-colonial thing, not just a place to extract from, but also a place to go settle, mostly in South Vietnam. And then you get more resistance. Who would have I know. You get the 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 Can Vung movement, which means aid the king. They're monarchists. 
and they're mostly fighting in Annam in central Vietnam. They do their thing for four years. They uh, kill a third of the country's Christian population, about 40,000 people total, um, especially in Annam, where there aren't too many French soldiers. They just massacre entire villages of Christian Vietnamese peasants instead of attacking the French. Mm. The Kang Vung movement wasn't as popular as it could have been um, because it was defending a very unpopular royalty and because massacring Vietnamese people wasn't really helping either with their PR. No, no. Optics are bad there. It really is. It's bad optics. The only problem with murdering people based on their religious affiliation. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. that's the only issue. Yeah. And it wasn't a united movement, which is actually, in this case, a good thing because some of the movement leaders were like, hey, what if we had like, Religious toleration, but just didn't let the French be in charge. Yeah. Wouldn't that that be wild? They weren't the only people being cool and trying to drive out the French. So there's also this Chinese religious secret society that predates Chinese organized crime that was involved, the TNDWI, which means the Heaven and Earth Society. And sometimes they're called the Hong Men. That's very, like, spiritual. I know. Well, yeah, actually, okay, I'll just cut ahead to the part of the script where I say this, but the, um, the triad, like the the idea that right. the British eventually just started saying that all organized crime in China is the triad. Right. And that actually comes from um, their belief in a, a a triad. They use a triangle and it was heaven, earth, and people as like the three sides of the triangle. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, it's fucking cool. Then you know who else is organized crime? Ooh. The sponsors. Sponsor. Yeah. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. So so the Heaven and Earth Society, the, the TNDWE, they're a secret society of working class folks. They were founded in the 1760s. People argue about the exact date. I've seen 1760, 1761, and 1769, whatever. And they were founded as a mutual aid society that was also into a whole bunch of really interesting religious stuff. 
with mutual aid society meaning something different in this context than most of how people talk about it now, mutual aid society basically being like a mutual insurance group, like a fraternal organization where you, you join and you pay dues and then... It's much more insular then. Yeah. And this is who pays for your like funeral expenses and your health insurance and stuff like that basically gotcha. is the like your crew of people, your secret society of people that you pay into. People always talk about wanting to start cults. And I think instead, if you're thinking, you out there, if you're thinking about starting a cult, start a secret society, fraternal organization, mutual aid organization instead. Yeah. You can still have weird religious beliefs. You just don't put one person in charge. Ideally. Yeah. And in this case, the the TND way, the, the Heaven and Earth Society, they also rob people and become pirates and try and overthrow the government to bring back the Ming Dynasty in China. Jesus. Okay. I'm still here. I'm still with you. Yeah, oh. yeah. This society has lasted until today. It has probably around 300,000 members worldwide. And yeah, it's their iconography that inspired the British to call or all organized chi- crime in China the triads. However, the modern day Hongmen are not the triad. They're a separate organization. And I think I'm not even like putting like air quotes around this. I think they're just like actually completely separate organization. But more importantly to our story, they were operating in South Vietnam in the 1880s, where there was this large and politically influential Chinese population. Right. Mostly the refugees from when the Qing dynasty took over a couple hundred years earlier, which is what they were, you know, their whole thing was they wanted to bring back the Ming dynasty and get rid of the Qing dynasty. A bunch of them were pirates, a bunch of them were Ming loyalists loyalists in exile. They're super fighty, and they brought with them the Tiandiwi. And they were not treated great by the Nguyen dynasty by the time the French showed up. So at first, they cautiously allied with the French. This will come up a lot too. Basically, um, if you treat everyone like shit and murder them, people look for reasons to try and depose you, even, even like foreign powers. I think I read that on a mug once. Yeah, yeah. Actually, um, that's a, a mug that you all produce that's as right. Yellow Peril Tactical. Yeah. I'm going to give you all merch ideas instead of us. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but the French didn't like them. They were like, hey, hey, yeah, we, we hate the Indian dynasty too. Why don't, why don't you uh, help us out? And the French were like, oh, God, no. A French colonial asshole basically said, they come and go without cease as their business demands. They smoke opium, they gamble, and they fight. That sounds like a good time. Why are they hating? Because it's they're not being properly conquered. Oh, okay. My bad. Yeah. No, it's like, is it the French had just come over to like slum it or whatever? It would have been a very different world. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It was hard to get them to agree to rules and government because they already had rules and government that they already didn't like of their own, I think. The French went about trying to force them to be good citizens. Anyone without papers was considered a, quote, vagabond endangering public security which is uh, goals. Well, did they offer them any baguettes at this point? I'm not sure. That is probably how they could have won them over. Or maybe like some condensed milk or something, because like, I don't know, maybe that could have helped. It, it, it could have. Maybe, uh, maybe they fought a lot because they had upset stomachs. Ooh, that would make me do a war. Yeah, yeah. So... Whenever anyone who was caught without papers would get deported out of uh, Vietnam, even if their family had been there for, you know, hundreds of years or whatever. This is a completely unfamiliar um, concept and problem to the modern audience. Yeah, that's an old issue. That doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. So 
they started resisting all of that. They refused to show up to surveys and censuses and shit. They refused to pay taxes to the French. And they just went without documentation despite the risks. It helped that all the locally appointed congregation heads, the local people who were put in charge by the French, they just didn't comply with the French either. So when people got deported, they just came right back. Fuck yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't like these, this, the Chinese immigrant population wasn't all the heaven and earth society until all this shit starts happening. Right. And then the heaven and earth society is like, yo, what's up? I'll sign up entire villages at a time. They would right. like show up and be like, all right, y'all want to join the secret society? We're going to fight the French. And people are like, yes, I do. Heaven yeah. and earth, here we go. Chinese and Vietnamese folks alike in this area, according to French colonial papers. And their motives ran the gamut. Some people were into the community and taking care of each other. Other people were into it for the crime and the violence. Other people were in it for anti-colonialism. And they started fucking up the French. And in this case, it was real bad for the French because, I don't know if you knew this, organized crime sometimes runs drugs. Oh, I heard that once, yeah. Yeah, I don't mean to slander crime, uh, but sometimes crime relates to drugs. In this case, the TND, we... Um, ran the opium farms of South Vietnam, which was the biggest cash crop in South right. Vietnam. So, of course, the French wanted to stop the opium. No, I'm just kidding. They wanted to <laughs> control the opium trade. Yeah, they wanted in on that. They wanted to cut. <laughs> yeah, they want all of it. They didn't want to yeah. cut. Oh, I'm man. willing to bet when they showed up, I bet you they were like, yeah, we don't like the government either. Yeah, you can be in charge. We'll give you uh, 10%. And the French was like, all of it? And they were like, I guess it's a war. Yeah, a wee wee. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so the TND, we they fought them, and they organized just fucking tons of riots. That was like one of their main things. This eventually turns into armed revolt. They start controlling so entire areas. I know. From 1880 to 1882, before the French eventually broke them. Unfortunately, the way the French broke them was that they went to the rich people who were part of them and find them and just find the shit out of them. And people were like, I don't want to lose all my money. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back the government. Mm-hmm. Classic. They didn't go away. In 1884, they assassinated a colonial collaborator. Who? How? I don't fucking know because I discovered this thread in the story just a moment ago. And the book that talks about it isn't available in ebook, just print. And I didn't get it in time. And I'm so sad because I wanted to tell you so much more about oh, organized crime in South Vietnam resisting the French. But they're cool. I ordered the book. I hope okay. at some point I get to talk about them again. Yeah, we could do a part three. Yeah. Yeah, we should do that. Okay. So the French won again. The Convoon movement was crushed. It, it, its last members were guerrilla armies in the hills who did amazing and badass shit. But by 1897, it was pretty much over. The, the Sino-Japanese War between China and Japan broke out in 1894. Mm. So China stopped helping out with supply lines because they were helping people resist the French. Um, but now they're friends with the French, or rather they're at peace with the French, and they don't want to piss them off. So this is a pattern that's going to repeat. Foreign help is fickle. Right. The French had all three parts of Vietnam, plus Cambodia. They formed it into one colonial country. They didn't want to call it Vietnam. They wanted to call it French Indochina. So they did a colonialism. They extracted resources. And as you pointed out, they were like, look, we're helping with infrastructure, which was used to extract more resources. Mm -hmm. And people kept fighting. 
that's pretty much going to be the like at the end of every given chunk with like, oh, and then they were defeated, but they kept fighting. But they kept on going. Yeah. The political lines get really complicated. There is not two sides. Some of the revolutionaries are really into European Enlightenment values and do things like set up schools to teach people to write Vietnamese and Latin script only to have the French shut them down because they're revolutionaries, even though they're trying to basically like westernize Vietnam. They're like doing it because they're like, oh, yeah, we love the French. They have that whole revolution and equality and freedom thing. And French is like, no, 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 you don't understand. That's like, that's that's for us. That's our thing. Yeah. 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 You have your own thing. (laughs) Um, Your thing's being ruled by the French. Isn't that cool? We all have things. (laughs) So the French also then at this point turn on the Catholics, afraid that the missionaries have too much power. Wait, what? Yeah, I couldn't find out more about this part. I want to know more about it. That is so interesting. And I'm guessing it's this classic thing. And I don't know. This is my conjecture. I'm guessing it's this classic thing where Western powers don't actually like Catholics because Catholics um, have dual loyalty to Rome as well as to any given country. Oh, okay. Um, That makes sense. That's my best guess. But at this point, the French are like, Look, you useful idiots paved the way for us to come in and conquer, but you can't, like, keep having power, you know? Right. And other, ra- other radicals are drawing from Japanese leftism. One feudal lord in Tonkin, the north of the country, his name's Huang Hatem. He held out for 30 years, having been granted territory by the French because he, like, seized it, and he kept fighting them, and eventually they're like, uh, okay, you can have that little chunk over there. And he's like, okay, I'll take that little chunk over there. But he serves as a symbol of resistance because he's this one little part right. of unconquered Tonkin. And it, they slowly like piecemeal kind of like fight him and take away more of his shit. But he's like, I mean, I'm sure to the people who live there who didn't have to then become French, we're still like grateful, right? But right. like overall his importance here is as, is as a symbol of like the unconquered, uh, the one warlord left basically. He was part of a plot in 1908 to poison an entire garrison of French soldiers. (laughs) Right? Okay, but there's something I've learned from history. Mass poison plots, I don't think they work. No. I know that the Galeanus tried it in the U.S. at some point. I know that the, uh, uh, shit, the... The Jonestown? Oh, well, actually, that did work, but... All right, well. Oh, what I was, was it? The, um, the Rajneeshi in Oregon? They tried to poison the salad bars. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. All right. Wild, well, wild country. Wild. Uh, yeah. So this mass poison plot didn't work. The cooks mixed Datura poison into the food at a party for all the, the French soldiers. And it knocked out 200 of them and didn't kill any of them. I think it's just really hard to get the dosage right. Right. Especially if they don't take the same serving. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So they didn't kill anyone. And then this Wait, is part. So they had them all knocked out. They only had 200 of them knocked out. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, no. So their plan was to basically like, it was going to be this revolt by all of these quote unquote French soldiers who were Vietnamese, like the local soldiers. They were going to kill all the French soldiers and like take over, and they were going to help this warlord guy, the um, Huang Hatem, come in and and retake it all. 
but it, they didn't knock out enough of them and they didn't kill enough of them. And it was just basically, it was like some cooks and then they, like you're at a party and you're like, all right, we're going to kill all these people. And then you knock <laughs> 200 of them out. You're not going to like walk out all six of you and be like, ha ha, and start yeah. stabbing the unconscious yeah, people. Okay. You know? okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. This is the only time I have found proof if so far in my reading, I'm sure other people know this and I don't, that the Catholics were part of the Vietnamese resistance because <laughs> at least one of the cooks was Catholic and he went to he went to confession. I fucking knew you were going there. I know. Oh my god. I, know. I mean, what even sin is that technically? I, He's not coveting anybody. He's not cursing anybody. He's not using the Lord's name in vain. I, I know. I see no sins committed here. I know. I think Jesus would approve, personally. I, you know, I don't have a strong counterpoint to that. I bet after 1,800 years of watching his, his, like, weird peace and love, I want to hang out with sex workers and thieves to get turned into, like, all of this shit. Yeah. I bet he would want to do more than, like, beat the moneylenders or whatever. But, so this Catholic feels guilty, and he goes and he tells the priest. He goes into the little snitch box in the snitch church, and... The priest tells the government, and the whole thing falls apart. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. But it is evidence that the Catholics were part of the resistance against the French. One time. Yeah, one time. But at least no, once. Yeah, exactly. At least. Exactly. We, we just, like, straight up, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't want to say we don't know, but I don't know. Eventually, uh, Huang Hatem gets assassinated by one of his own guys, who's a black flag army dude who'd sold out the resistance and started working for the French. And then the communists enter the scene. But you know what else is communism? Well, actually, I mean, buying and selling products and services was a big part of state capitalism. So by some standards, advertising... I don't know. What would the role be of advertising in a good and healthy anti-capitalist society? That's my question uh, to you, Snow. Yeah, I think um, lots of flyers with alt text on where to get free hot soup mm -hmm. and um, where to have puppy therapy. Okay. Sophie, can we get those sponsors, free hot soup and puppy therapy? Those are our only sponsors, and anything else is a mistake. Okay. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. 
like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. And we're back. We're back just like communism is back in the 1920s in Vietnam, wow. baby. Nice. Wow. Only nice. It didn't, I guess it didn't really come back. It kind of entered for the first time. In 1917, I don't know if you heard about this. This is a thing that happened in the world uh, called the Russian Revolution. I heard about that. Yeah. I watched the movie Anastasia when I was oh, a kid. Okay. I watched the movie Reds before I had any idea of any context of anything about what I saw. And I don't remember anything about it except that it took two VHS tapes. <laughs> In 1917, communists of all sorts had a revolution in Russia, and then the Bolsheviks mm-hmm. went around and murdered everyone who wasn't willing to be specifically a Bolshevik, which led to a civil war that we will talk about on some episode at some point. And eventually the Bolsheviks won. And this mattered a lot. By 1920s, resistance to colonization of Vietnam, uh, French Indochina, took more and more of a communist turn. This gets, I believe, exaggerated by history since eventually communists win. Mm-hmm. And then therefore they're like, all of the resistance was communist. And then you like go through and you're like, except for this group and this group and this group well, and this group and this group. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's usually the list of all the people that the uh, Viet Minh eventually murder. Right. But... Now we get to introduce this week's main character shortly before the end of the first episode. No Vaughn. One thing to know about him is that I'm not reading history books about him. I'm reading a memoir by him. Oh, and that's so, cool. yeah, and, and it means he survives. Right. Uh, and it also means that the contextual information that I have about him is coming from him and his friends. So there's a lot of bias in what mm. I'm going to be talking about. And I talked with one of my friends who knows a lot more about this topic than me, about like how I was going to try and present this particular thing. Because like I'm basically telling a story about bottom-up communists getting murdered by top-down communists. Mm-hmm. But that said, I'm not trying to specifically be like, well, no, Vaughn was very clear that he did not like Ho Chi Minh because Ho Chi Minh went around and murdered all of his friends. But there's still something about the Viet Minh's resistance and the Viet Cong's resistance uh, to the French and the Americans that I think is like worth celebrating. Mm-hmm. And so like, it's a, it's a, I'm going to try and thread this needle. Yeah. And I'm probably going to fail. Well, you know, war is ugly. Yeah. Nobody really wins. Yeah, totally. And, but, you know, I share this guy's bias. I don't mm-hmm. like authoritarian communism and neither did Novon. Uh, I don't share his exact politics. He was a Trotskyist most of, uh, during all of the stuff that we'll be talking about. That said, Novan, he was born in 1912 in Tanlo, a village near what's now Ho Chi Minh City, but was then Saigon, which is in the south of the country. At the time, Saigon was the capital of French Indochina and is now the biggest city in Vietnam. Despite various official religions coming through Vietnam over the course of the centuries, indigenous beliefs, usually summed up as animism or ancestor worship, have held on uh, pretty strong, especially 100 years ago. And his village was on some cool shit. One of the results of that and the colonial administration is that since a lot of, okay, 
since a lot of infants die, why announce a kid's birth until you know that they're not just going to die? Right. Which means you would have to deal with the colonial paperwork twice. So legally, he was born in April 1913 when he was about six months old. So you'll see some sources say he was born in 1913, and that's what his official paperwork says. But he's very clear he was born in 1912, and he doesn't actually know when because they didn't bother registering the birth until he figured out that he wasn't about to die. His mother was the village midwife, and she cut her own umbilical cord with a sharp piece of bamboo bark. Jesus Christ. I know. She's fucking hard. She's like fucking metal. She's like actually my favorite character in this whole story. I have like a hangnail, and I'm like, I gotta take a nap. (laughs) Yeah. No, uh, no. His mother, who I actually don't believe gets named, she's fucking hard as fuck. She makes most of her money making hats out of palm fronds and selling them to local peasants for basically nothing. And his childhood home is in the jungle. He and his siblings would catch and raise owls and feed them, like, keep them in the house as pets and then, like, feed them frogs and shit like that. That's so cute. What the I fuck? know. I know. Just I was a boy and his owl. I was, like, actually trying to figure out. I was, like, because he, he includes a lot of details like this about, like, growing up and, like, riding buffalo and, like, how he was so jealous of the neighbors who had a horse or whatever. And I've been trying to figure out how to, like, point out that this person had a, like, upbringing that is very different than, like, a Western upbringing. Mm-hmm. Um, without trying to like exoticize being like, right, you know, but, but it's, it's, it's fucking interesting. And it like, it's also fucking interesting because, because he ends up involved in these political things that usually get seen as like Western leftist, like Western ideologies. And so right. it's like, I think worth understanding that someone who like grew up very different than like a, a white Westerner would have was still involved in these things. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's where I landed. Mostly I was like, holy shit, he kept owls in his house. That's so fucking cute. They were peasants, but his dad was literate and his brother taught him how to read. He was the youngest of 12. So in traditional style, they referred to themselves as their birth order. Mm -hmm. He was brother 13 because the firstborn is born is named two and not one because they're trying to fool the evil spirits to not carry off the firstborn. Mm -hmm. Um, And he, and I think about half of his siblings had, like, actually, like, lived long enough to have names and, like, survived infancy, you know? Right. So, you know, he's the youngest of 12. He's, like, one of seven or whatever. So by... Anyway, whatever. I just got lost thinking about how hard that would have to be for the mom. Yeah. A lot of my grandma's siblings uh, would have been born around this time, and a lot of them died in the famine. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that the end of World War II famine? Or is it the I believe different... so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but a lot of them just died. Yeah. Because of yeah. shit. So. Totally. So, he's raised in this village. The village itself was governed. I don't know if it was specifically ruled, but it was governed by a council of notables, basically people who are trusted to make good decisions. Unfortunately, this is the colonial era, so they're also entrusted to enforce all the French bullshit, specifically the capitulation, capitate attacks. Mm -hmm. The tax that is a flat tax for every person, regardless of income, which is totally fair. Yeah. Um, Because it forces people into the money economy. So all of these people who are like, I just, they weren't part of the fucking money economy. And all of a sudden they have to come up with all this, you know, it's about a month's worth of wages uh, every year for. A, like That's a fucked. decently successful laborer. 
And it fucks over poor people in general. Rich people barely even notice it. The village communal hall had a cell in the back for prisoners, which was just people who didn't pay their tax. The year after he's legally born, 1914, World War I breaks out. And France is like, man, we need, um, we need some living people to turn into dead people. I know, Vietnam. They went around and quote-unquote drafted young men by, and I think this symbolism is worth noting, young men were literally tied to poles like you see in those like racist movies about savages in the, in the right. South Pacific or whatever. Like the people doing that in this story are the fucking French and they're going around and drafting people by tying them to poles and marching them out of the jungle to go fight and die for France. Uh, Van, Vaughn's brother narrowly escaped kidnapping, had to go into hiding. But the Vietnamese people, the ones who don't want to be ruled, they also don't want to be drafted. Yeah, that tracks. In 1916. Yeah, right? You'd, they're not afraid of fighting. No. <laughs> Yeah, that's they not the issue f- here. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, we're not scared, okay? Yeah. We just don't like you. Yeah. Big difference. In 1916, they rose up with fucking machetes and swords and a handful of rifles. Oh, that's so hot. I Fuck. know. And even the combining of the machetes and swords is so fucking sick. Yeah. Very also like, uh, what's the word? Um, symbolic. Yeah, Totally. They rescued their kidnapped friends. They would, like, storm the halls where the drafted men would be kept, who would then join the crowd because, again, not afraid of fighting. The rebellion spread across all of Cochin, China, the southern province, and it wasn't put down until eventually the, like, last big fight of it was a crowd of 300 people stormed the central prison in Saigon, and they used swords to cut down the guards. But eventually they were overwhelmed. This led to 150 arrests, 38 executions, and... The rest of at least these arrests were sent to a penal colony on a nearby island, which is still used as a penal colony in terrible conditions today by the ostensibly socialist government. Got it. And all of this was organized by the secret societies throughout the countryside and specifically a bunch of religious sects. A crackdown followed. This leads to 8,000 more arrests. Vaughn didn't see any of that because he was like fucking four years old. Right. But that was the era of repression that he grew up in. At one point, his brother was arrested because their dad was bootlegging rice liquor in the woods, which he literally only did because he needed to make offerings to their ancestors um, since the commercially available liquor was too shitty to offer up to people you actually care about, like your ancestors. Right. right. So they show up, and dad's like kind of old and sick, so they steal Vaughn's brother as punishment for dad's crimes. Mom has to borrow jewelry from extended family, pawn it to get him back. At some point, dad takes the handle off of his machete in order to, like, not be seen to be armed. Um, And so he has to, like, go around and do his fucking work with a handleless machete. Yeah. Vaughn starts school at the age of seven in the village alongside 30 other kids. He was a smart kid. At 10, he started going to a nicer school a little bit further away. And he showed a lot of promise, and a lot of teachers pulled a lot of strings to get him a higher education, and put him into a, they put him into scholarship competitions, whereupon he lost and did not get to continue his education because the people he was competing against were rich and were bribing the judges. Something also that doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> nope. When he was 14, 
1926, he moved into Saigon looking for work. Originally, he like moved into Saigon looking for to keep applying himself to education, but um, his mom had to pay his rent, and it was very hard on the family. And so he was like, "Fuck mm-hmm. this! I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna go work instead." And when he moves there in 1926 into Saigon, the city is awash with revolutionary unrest, and you got a bunch of different fucking things all coming together. And like, I'm gonna. Like there's this like one day where three different leaders and all their followers with very different ideologies, but all anti-French are kind of coming together. You've got this pacifist nationalist leader, uh, Fan Chu Trin, who had just died of tuberculosis, which is not, everyone's been waiting for me to say tuberculosis. So here we are, the first death of are. tuberculosis. This guy was interesting. He'd been fighting for decades for Vietnamese independence from both monarchy and colonialism, but he believed that the, the French could be used to further progress like towards a republic and away towards away from monarchy. He had huh. slogans like, this is a really catchy slogan. I think that people should still use it. Okay. Making use of the French in the name of progress. That's catchy. Put that I know. on a t-shirt. I know. Um, and his ideas were basically, and this was not actually a direct, this is a paraphrasing, ask the French to live up to their own purported values. Ooh. Which means that he got arrested and sentenced to death, commuted his life in prison, okay. and spent the last All 15 right. years of his life in exile. Oh, okay. Oh, wow. All right. That took a dark turn. Yeah, because, and this is the most, like, he's like a pacifist nationalist who's like, we want what you have. And they're like, death? Another radical leader was coming to town. I'm going to put radical in quotes here, but you know what? By the standards of the day. Yeah. His name's Bui Concio. And he's even more boring. He was the head of the Constitutionalist Party which wanted slightly more reforms specifically for rich Vietnamese people, like voting rights for the wealthy. He did not want independence from France. And he, um, yeah, he also didn't want poor people to be able to vote. Like he was like- I don't like this guy. This no, he sucks. Yeah, he sucks so much. Um, but he's so radical that when he shows up, all the French colonial people like protest his arrival. What? <laughs> because that's what how basis? low the bar is for- Oh, my God. He's like, what if it was slightly less bad specifically for the richest Vietnamese people? And people are like, whoa, get out of here with that crazy commie shit. Fuck you. Oh, my God. Finally, a third person was on people's minds at this point. And this guy was actually cool. Nguyen An Ninh. And he was a, a lefty journalist who'd just been arrested for running a newspaper. Mass protests filled the streets in anger at his arrest. And um, he'd actually, he'd like turned down. The French were like, oh, you're like smart intellectual. You want to like uh, get a position in the colonial government? We'll like hold you up as a figurehead. He was like, no, no, I'm going to instead dedicate my entire life to getting everyone who's against you to unite. Um, so I like him. Yeah, me too. When he gets arrested for running a newspaper, mass protests fill the streets in anger. Thousands of students walk out of schools in protest, and a thousand people are expelled for walking out because they're mad that this guy um, got arrested. And Nguyen An Ninh was one of the, quote, five dragons, who are the anti-colonial socialists who met while studying in Paris. Most notable among them, of course, is, is Ho Chi Minh, who will go on to lead North Vietnam to victory against the French and then the Americans. First, of course, Ho Chi Minh will declare victory over the rest of the Vietnamese left and kill a bunch of people. But Right, guess, right. We'll get to that. So that's what's in the air when Vaughn moves to Saigon and takes work as a clerk in some accounts department. He's 14 and he's getting this kind of work. He's just fucking smart as hell. 
coworkers are like, oh, you like books? Here's books. And they just give him books. And he reads French rebels and Vietnamese rebels and poetry and rebellion. And he's just like really into poetry and revolt because um, he's fucking cool. Also happening around that time, in 1928, a man named Fan Von Kim snuck his way into court and assassinated a colonial judge. I think the guy overseen on Nin's trial, basically like, someone's like, eh, I don't trust you to be fair, so I'm going to murder you. Ah. On the rubber plantations, which had a death rate among workers of 40%, a hundred workers killed their overseer in 1927. In 1929, the director of the Bureau of Recruitment of Rubber Plantations was taken out with a revolver by a high school student. See, this is why union membership in the United States is down to 10%. <laughs> they don't be doing stuff like this. I'm joke. I'm for legal reasons that's a joke, but yeah. like seriously, come on, have some class analysis. I know. God. I know. 40% of your homies are dying at work and you're just like, mm, well, um, no, yeah. I would, I would at least consider. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, a thing worth considering. Yeah. 40% of you. And some of it's like the fucking, I'll talk about it a little bit more in the next episode, but, um, some of these rubber plantations are the Michelin tire plantations. No, <laughs> like literally, literally. Yeah. Oh, and that's like one of the things that's like. It's so easy to think about things like 80 years ago on the other side of the planet as like being separate yeah. spheres. And they're right. just not. They're not. Wow. Yeah. So in 1930, the rebellion grew, which we'll talk about on Wednesday. Dun, 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 dun. That's my cliffhanger. Nice. Thanks. But do you have any, any thoughts or feedback on this particular, uh, this first chunk before we get into I'm having revolt? a great time. Yeah. I'm having a great time. I think you're doing really well. Thank you. Um, your pronunciations are okay. Yeah, they're not so great. I looked up all no. of them. but Yeah. You know. It's okay. Vietnamese is hard. I still yeah. struggle with it. I actually speak like 1950s Vietnamese. So people who speak <laughs> Vietnamese like more currently think I like and weird. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm imagining like the equivalent of you having like a Brooklyn accent, like an accent that's kind of fallen out of style. Yeah. Cause the Vietnamese that's taught here, mm -hmm. at least when I went to Vietnamese school is taught by people who grew up in like the sixties and seventies. And so mm -hmm. that's the Vietnamese they teach here. And so when people who live in Vietnam now come, they're like, you sound like the equivalent of like fucking John Travolta in Greece, you know? <laughs> I'm just like, thanks. That's really funny, actually. But yeah, um, I had no idea. Yeah. They're like, you sound like an old man. And I'm like, maybe I am. That rules. You, we just need to get you a Tommy gun and you're oh set. Oh, my God. I think I, I think I need one mounted to the back of my truck. That's OK. But it has to be like one of those like old fashioned trucks with like the running boards and the like. Right. Um, yeah. OK. Okay, we could probably make that happen. I think so. Yeah. We know enough handy people. Yeah. <laughs> Snow, do you have anything you'd like to plug at the end here before we wrap up part one? Oh, yeah, for sure. I am one of many tigers in a trench trench coat. Um, you can find us on Instagram at yellow underscore peril underscore tactical. Our Twitter, regrettably, is YPT actual. 
Um, and you can find most of our content on either of those. We also do a podcast semi-regularly also. Um, and that is the Tiger Block podcast. You can find it on Spotify. And I also believe Apple podcasts. But that's where to catch our content. Yay. Cool. And Margaret, your your book is now available for, for order, not just pre-order or yeah, still pre-order. Um, you know, like dealer's choice. Um, oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, my my book, Escape from Insel Island, uh, was going to be released February 1st, but uh, there was some problem with the posters that the pre-order people were getting, and they had to be reordered, and now they're coming and soon out, and probably around the time that you're listening to this, or this is years ago, and you're listening in the future. In which case, either way, you have very soon you can go from not reading Escape from Insel Island to reading Escape from Insel Island. And it's so short they can soon go to having read Escape from Insel Island. Amazing. Which is a fiction book about what it says on the title, cover, whatever. And where can be and where can people buy that? That's the most important part. If you're pre-ordering, you get it from tangledwilderness.org. If you're regular ordering, you can get it from wherever you order your books, which could still include tangledwilderness.org or it could include our distributor AK Press or it could include your library or it could include I don't know if Barnes & Noble will stock it, so it might be hard to shoplift, but I believe in you. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts on Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. This is Raquel Willis from Queer Chronicles. Right now, there are close to 500 anti-LGBTQ plus bills in state legislatures across the country. Lambda Legal is leading the charge against these hateful bills that target mostly trans and non-binary people. You can fight discrimination and help write the next chapter of Lambda Legal history. To learn more about their open cases and to donate, visit lambdalegal.org. That's lambdalegal.org.